Money FM 89.3, the best of your money. Market View on Money FM 89.3. Asia-Pacific markets trading mix this morning following a similar performance on Wall Street overnight. Joining me now to break down all the market action, the man behind the Dividend Titan Finance blog, Willie Kang, are you hungry for some cheese and barbecue? Oh, I love cheese and barbecue. <laughs> as much cheese as possible, but I just hope that I don't put on too much weight. <laughs> I'm just wondering what you're craving at this time and how impressionable you are because I just heard that ad and I'm thinking cheese and barbecue sauce sound great to me. Not in the morning, but later in the afternoon, I wouldn't mind. Morning is always coffee. <laughs> okay, now we know. Now we know. For a change, we're not going to start the morning with the banking sector, but rather with one of China's best-known companies, Alibaba. The tech giant says it is going to become a holding company and split its business into six different groups. Now, it's a major reshuffle and most significant organizational haul for Alibaba in the 24-year history of what is China's biggest e-commerce firm. So this potentially signals several new IPOs, one for each of the six business units, as well as a potential breakup of the powerful company. This move also comes as Alibaba founder Jack Ma returns to China this week for the first time in more than a year. Tell us more about the breakup into the six units. Yeah, I mean, the first thing is, um, finally, I noticed that's why Jack Ma came on the news yesterday in order to actually lead to the way to the breakup this morning Makes on, sense on the news. Yeah. yeah. So the breakup here, um, just just to give a quick summary, is that they are going to reorganize into six different, big different uh, business units, a lot like how Alphabet or Google did it in 2015, where they also um, renamed Google into Alphabet and then also breaking up the units into different uh, subunits under the bigger umbrella called Alphabet. So Alibaba is doing the same thing as well. And the move here will potentially unlock some value for the tech giant. I mean, if you see over the last couple of years, the shares were complete slaughter. It was down close to 70%. So I think a lot of investors or the markets, they are sort of waiting patiently for a recovery. But it seems like there's no end in sight until today or at least this morning's news. Because um, looking at this, unlocking the value here is basically um, through an IPO, they could potentially uh, raise, you know, in- increase the value by selling off some of these business units on the market itself. So this is about fundraising. It's about IPOs. Investors applauded the news. Alibaba shares jumped nearly 15% overnight on Wall Street. The shift to a holding company structure is rare for major Chinese tech firms. Now, analysts say this could present a template for Alibaba's peers. In fact, some say that Jack Ma's move could actually herald a way for other global tech companies to unlock value. So what do you think of this argument? And who are the companies that could potentially benefit if they follow suit? Yeah, I mean, if you see some of these big tech giants for the longest time, um, China has been trying to figure out a way to control them. So maybe this is actually one way to better increase or unpeel the onions, the layers of onions beneath the core of what's really going on by sort of breaking up. And some of these tech companies may include, you know, um, food delivery Meituan Holdings, for example. It's a tech giant where they also invest into other smaller business units. You have Tencent, which is a huge gaming company in China, and they have very small uh, multiple businesses as well uh, because these tech companies typically they generate a lot of cash flow and they don't really know what to do with the cash so they invest in other businesses or other subsidiaries under them, parked under them. So it's very difficult to actually have a management oversight 
from this company. So if you break them up, maybe it's easier for Chinese regulators to zoom in straight and see what's really going on here. Um, on top of that, of course, you also have Baidu, for example, which also owns um, uh, the Google of China. Wow. So a lot more agility, a lot more um, potential for upside for investors of Alibaba. Let's turn to banks now. Some of the United States' top financial regulators face a grilling from lawmakers overnight in the push to understand Silicon Valley Bank's collapse. Now, SVB's failure is the biggest since the 2008 financial crisis. And politicians on both sides of the U.S. political fence want to know why SVB was allowed to grow so quickly and what steps might be taken to prevent a similar failure in future. So already mining for lessons. What have we learnt overnight and are new rules likely on the way? Mm. So just to give a quick overview here, starting Tuesday, the FDIC, which is the Federal Deposit Insurance Corporation, the Fed and the Treasury will testify before Congress about how problems at the SVB were allowed to sort of uh, increase and threaten the US banking system. So I think one argument here is really the interest rate model of the banks because uh, banks typically how they operate is they borrow, um, they, they, they pay on short-term deposits, so they borrow short-term pay uh, deposits a short-term interest rate, but they use this money to lend out or invest in assets which have a much longer maturity or a tenure in order to have a much higher return on their yield. But the problem comes where you have this thing called a mismatch of maturity because deposits on one hand is very short-term, so anytime people can pull out the money if they have lost confidence in the financial institution itself. But on the other hand, all this money are all locked up or stuck in assets which they might not be able to easily sell off. So there's always that issue here um, of what people call the interest rates model. Okay, let me ask you a very fundamental question that I've been hearing quite a bit. I mean, during COVID, um, when we saw the Fed raise uh, rates, interest rates, one of the very often heard tropes was banks are going to benefit, their NIMs are going to benefit. How do we see this in the wake of that? Mm, That's a very good question, Michelle. Um, So on one hand, banks... Strong banks which benefit from this, from high rates, is from the ability to actually reprice or increase the yield on the assets or the loans. But for the case of SVB, just to give a very quick context here, SVB, what they do is they take the depositors' money, they put it inside what I call very long-term government bonds or corporate bonds, which are considered on the balance sheet as held to maturity assets, which means that these assets are not meant to be sold, but because interest rates go up, bond prices typically fall. And as a result, a lot of people start to get shaken or scared that SVB's value of these assets, because they're all long-term bonds, value could drop. And as a result, a lot of these depositors start pulling out money. Of course, this comes on top as, you know, it, it doesn't help that these depositors are at the end of the day startup companies which need a lot of cash and also at a time where they might not be able to actually borrow money because of higher interest rates. Great point. Let's turn to the broader U.S. markets now, Willie. Stocks held relatively steady on Wall Street overnight, although tech counters experienced more selling. The Nasdaq closed down nearly half a percent. The Dow Jones Industrial Average, the S&P 500, both finished marginally lower. Now, one market headline that really caught my eye is this. The asset management giant BlackRock is warning investors not to expect a Fed rate hike uh, turnaround anytime soon. And it says markets appear to be too optimistic on this front. It writes, quote, we think the Fed could 
only deliver rate cuts priced in by markets if a more serious credit crunch takes hold and causes an even deeper recession than we expect. Uh, BlackRock typically viewed as a keen proxy for Fed sentiment. Willie, what do you make of this warning not to expect uh, Fed cuts? I mean, this is something which, Michelle, from 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 the get-go um, here, I'm more of towards the bearish or the, the pessimistic view. So my, my agreement is sort of in line with what BlackRock says because in a typical um, cycle, market cycle here, you know, there was there will always be a uh, recession which precedes, you know, a fall in interest rates. I mean, if you see the global financial crisis, um, how the Fed has raised interest rates, and then you know, as the economy starts to turn, it suddenly starts to cut interest rates. So, um, if you are betting your money now on um, assets here, it could potentially have some risk here and that's what BlackRock is really trying to warn investors you know by not being too um, overly optimistic or overly bullish uh, thinking that um, a Fed rate cut could be a sign of a um, turnaround or a growing economy. Now elsewhere we talked earlier this week about how Deutsche Bank shares suffered big losses on Friday as investors appear to seek the next big bank that might fall and it's very interesting twist to this story. It turns out that Deutsche Bank's fall was largely due to a single bet against it. What do we know about this? Yeah, so this is uh, something which is quite unique or quite peculiar, but if you are in a bond market, um, this probably wouldn't be that surprising to those in the fixed income market itself because um, what happened is that people are now saying that the reason why Deutsche Bank's credit default swaps actually spiked was due to a bet on the German bank's junior debt. So there was roughly about 5 million uh, euros bet on the swaps and typically um, the swap market is quite um, illiquid or small, which means that if you put in a sizable amount into the market itself, it could potentially move the market. And in this case, it seems like there are um, speculators or um, bettors here trying to bet against um, Deutsche Bank. And because of the illiquid market, this sort of caused that spike in the credit default swaps. So CDS or credit default swaps are basically um, a cost to insure against a financial institution's uh, probably, probability of default. So the higher the, the, the CDS number, typically it's more expensive to insure against the default of a financial institution. A $1.5 million bet and that led to the route essentially. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Well, so much for trying to link Deutsche Bank with um, the Credit Suisse fallout. And, you know, you you get the news on the other side that, hey, maybe it could just be a group of investors betting on the CDS. There you go. Let's stick with Europe for a moment. Banks in France received more bad news yesterday. They are facing more than $1 billion in fines for tax fraud. It appears that they evaded paying taxes by transferring stocks overseas for short periods of times uh, when dividend assessments were due and then they'd bring the money back on shore again. What do you make of this? doesn't really build confidence in the banking sector, does it? Yeah, and at the same time also, it never fails to amaze or excites me about how financial markets is, how some of these guys can come up with really ingenuous ingenuous ideas to try to make money or try to avoid paying taxes. And in this case, you know, you see the rates, um, the rates uh, by the banks related to the dividend arbitrage strategy known as a 
calm, calm strategy where, like what you have mentioned, shareholders transferred stock for a short period to investors based abroad to avoid a dividend tax. So investors held the shares during the period when dividends were paid out and either weren't taxed or taxes were refunded. They then sold the securities back to the original uh, owner and the amount saved was split between the parties. So really this, 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 this strikes up to me as you know another case of um, people on the markets trying to sort of game the system. Mm. Um, this is something which I, I know it's fun to read but you know it's something which I find that is also very difficult to understand about why why people go at such length you know of, of course to, to 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 do this yeah bad news for Francis banks under scrutiny and raising uh, the issue of governance corporate governance once again from banks we turn now to electric vehicles BYD in fact a company backed by Warren Buffett is reporting earnings so how is BYD doing? Yeah, so if you see BYD, uh, it has actually reported a very strong net profit results. Uh, net income actually jumped more than 400%. In fact, it's 446% to about 16 billion yuan. Uh, and this really comes amidst um, very intensive uh, competition from Tesla. So Tesla is also entering the Chinese market um, to also sell electric vehicles in a 1.3 billion populous country. Um, BYD is, I mean, it controls about one third of all new energy vehicle sales in China. But with the despite this um, um, strong net profit, you know you have Tesla coming in, and profit margins are likely to be squeezed by this ongoing price war. Because if you think about it, um, automakers generally they are very competitive, highly competitive um, um, companies in a highly fragmented highly fragmented sector because if you see when at the start you know you have about 10 30 over thousand automakers last time but now it's only down to like the top three mm. which includes your Chrysler your Ford and your General Motors so I guess it would probably be pro- probably be the same in China especially for electric vehicles yeah because we know China's going full swing with its push towards alternative energy um, high up on the charts compared to many other geographical regions what a beautiful chart BYD's net income jumping more than 400% on a surge for EV vehicles. Other headlines from the EV space appear a little mixed this morning. NIO is opening up trials for high-speed battery swaps for electric vehicles. It will take less than five minutes to swap out those batteries and that definitely seems like a positive for the industry. Imagine pulling into a battery station and getting out at the same amount of time roughly that it takes to pump a tank of petrol. In the U.S., though, another EV company is facing problems. I am talking about Lucid. Lucid is laying off 1,300 workers amid flagging demands for its products. All right, let's take a step back, Willie. The Business Times is running an article this morning, and it argues that there is an EV boom and that nickel investors may benefit. Seems like we've been talking a lot about nickel these days, bags of nickel turning into (laughs) rocks and whatnot. Seems like, yeah, exactly. A lot of nickel fraud in the sector, but there is a positive article here and a possible investment strategy. What do you think of it? Mm. So while gold might look interesting um, as everyone talks about the macroeconomic environment, you know, inflation is going, uh, inflation is climbing higher, you have also interest rates going up. So a lot of people use gold and silver as sort of a hedge or a bet against, you know, what's, what might actually turn around in the, in the economy. Mm-mm. So that's all very macro-driven headlines. But if you see nickel, on the other hand, also a commodity here, uh, tends to be more industrial use. So there's actually a fundamental backing behind nickel itself because if you see um, nickel, Prices are driven more by industrial demands and they are typically found in many different products including coins, 
wires and gas turbines. So unlike gold, uh, nickel seems to have more industrial usage here and it seems to have a better de- demand dynamics. I mean, if you see for Fitch rating solutions, one of the credit rating agencies, um, they do forecast that nickel prices could continue to go up to about thirty to over $1,000 per tonne, which was up about $22,500 um, right now. So there could be something interesting here. Um, rather than betting on what we have mentioned on the highly intensive um, EV market, mm-hmm. you might actually take your bet on nickel instead. The pickle and shoves, yeah. shovels <laughs> argument there. Uh, so nickel investments may reward investors with pretty good returns if you look at the EV boom. Time now for corporate news. We're going to do it up or down style. Let's start with Adidas. Mm. So Adidas will be a down for me after they have ended um, a partnership with Beyonce. And on top of that, um, sportswear retailer Adidas has also blocked an application for a Black Lives Matter trademark. Ooh, yeah, that's a down in my book as well. Uh, Adidas and Beyonce splitting ways and on the back of that news of the trademark block as well. Now, Lululemon, it seems that that pricey yoga wear is in, huh? Mm. Wow, well, this is something which, uh, you know, if you walk into t- a Takashima at Nian City there, there's a huge shop there. A lot of very sexy, premium-looking pants there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That <laughs> apparently lasts forever until the end of time. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, this is an up for me. I mean, if you see how uh, their forecast annual sales and profits um, on this um, athletic clothing maker. So they are betting on the resilient demand and inventory, um, easing inventory. I mean, really, this... This comes when people are still willing to spend on expensive pens. Yeah. I mean, I mean, if it's a good product and it's going to last you a pretty long time. Do you buy yoga pants and uh, stuff from? I generally wait until it's gifted to me. <laughs> I'm just that sort of girl. <laughs> <laughs> or, or if they actually ever have a discount. Yes, um, but I do have friends who swear on these pants. Mm. And we'll fork out whatever it's worth because they say it lasts. Now, let's look at uh, its sales, though. Lululemon enjoyed a holiday surge in sales. Its earnings jumped 12% in the last quarter, and that is better than expected. And so it is an up for Lululemon in my book. All right, different story here for Micron. Mm, so we are looking at Micron Technology. They have forecast a slightly weaker fiscal uh, second quarter results. Uh, really, this is at the back of uh, poorer or weaker semiconductor uh, sales and demands for these chips. But of course, um, the company also went on saying that the the, the weakness in their results might have bottomed mm. and they could actually set for a recovery. Yeah, so Micron reporting its largest loss on record. However, the company's sales forecast, pretty upbeat. So it could be an up for the computer memory and data storage company. And speaking of chips, there is a great book on uh, chip wars. My friends at Kinokunia tells, tell me that it is number 10 on the most bought list, bestseller list for last week. But I'm going to do my best to raise it to number one because I think this is a book <laughs> that should be read. And it is by Chris Miller, Chip War. Uh, Ooh, yeah. I, I have heard of that book and it's something which I've always wanted to read. Please. Yes. I will, I will, I will loan you my copy. It's the, the fight for the world's most important technology in my book. Yeah. And you know what's the other book which I like about uh, chip makers? You have to read about Jeffrey Moore. Um, crossing the chasm. So mm. this talks a lot about uh, technology, semiconductor companies, all in the 80s and 90s, how they have actually built um, all these uh, companies, including Intel, Microsoft, 
Oracle, oh, beautiful. If if, if you are a cheap uh, lover, not the potato chips, but the cheap love, <laughs> cheap junkie, uh, then I think it's good to actually, you know, look at this. Fantastic. Two great book recommendations for you <clears throat> today. Let's get those books on chips up the charts. Why not? All right, let's go back to Up or Down and look at AMC Entertainment, Willie. Really. Mm, this is an up for me. Um, after AMC announced um, um, announcement that Amazon is looking to actually buy out the entertainment uh, company. So this is also in a bit where Amazon is trying to expand its library of of, uh, movies and films. Look at that. AMC Entertainment shares jumping 14% overnight amidst those rumors that Amazon might buy it. Several analysts doubt that this is true, but it was still an up for AMC in last night's trade. Okay, let's look at the Adani Group. Adani stocks uh, raised $8.5 billion of market cap, uh, market value. So the group seeks actually more time to repay its loan. So this really sort of um, leaves some cracks um, in the company's wall because if you see, if a company has to actually ask for a time extension on its loans, typically this is something of a red flag here. Yeah. Fresh concerns about whether the Adani Group can repay their debts are hurting the group. Again, shares of Adani Enterprises fell 7% yesterday. All right, our last word this morning has to do with pandemic-era stocks. Some many of the biggest blockbuster stocks from the lockdown days have fallen. Just think of Zoom uh, or Peloton, even BioNTech, which grows 17 billion euros last year thanks to its COVID-19 vaccination, is forecasting a 70% drop in 2023 revenues. However, there is one company that is bucking this trend. It makes a product which, in my opinion, is appalling to look at. But it is a particular type of footwear that has become very popular during the pandemic. And now it seems people just can't stop buying it. Pandemic may be over. People still loving these shoes. Are you a fan of Crocs? You know the thing about Crocs, Michelle, you know, when I... I, I don't know about you, but every time when I walk into one of our shopping malls here, right, the shops are usually very empty. But oh. at the same time, they seem to be surviving and they have many outlets in Singapore. Yeah. For me, Crocs, not really a big fan, but I do own the slippers because they are really resilient and hardy. It lasts you for a very, very long time. Right. So that's something which is uh, really interesting. But of course, like what you say, it's uh, something where they still continue to strike on. So that's something which always puzzles me for the company itself. So on one hand, you have the outlets which are usually quiet here, but... Mm. They have been, you know, surviving and thriving even during the pandemic. This is the meme effect, I think. I mean, <laughs> this is what happens when something is popular. They start buying it during the pandemic because everybody's schlepping around at home in their yoga pants <laughs> and sort of matches. And, and also at the same time, I guess in the US, sometimes the weather is cold. So stepping on the crocs could provide some warmth. Right, know? right. Because they're cloggy. Mm. They look like clogs. Uh, also helped by the cool factor, the DJ and musician Questlove wore a pair of crocs to the Academy Awards this month, apparently. In case you're wondering, sales of the clogs are up nearly 200% since 2019. Crocs sold about 300 million US dollars worth of sandals in 2022 and it is projecting 400 million in sales this year. Well, that's it from us. Thank you so much for being here with us on Market View. He's Willie King, DT, the dividend titan himself. You can check out his blog. I'm Michelle Martin. Before acting on the information on Money FM, please consider if it's suitable for your own investment objectives, financial situation, and risk tolerance. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at moneyfm893.sg or download our audio app. That's A W E D I O. Available on Google Play or the App Store.